morning, I want to spend a little time talking about communion. I know it's not a communion Sunday, but communion is more than just gathering at the Lord's table once a month. And in his own way, as Mark writes to us in our gospel lesson this morning, it comes to us from Mark 7, beginning at verse 24, if you're following along in your Bible. He tells the story of Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman. Syrophoenician is, uh, simply indicates that this woman was of Greek origin from the Roman-ruled province of Syria. And so she's called the Syrophoenician woman, and Jesus has an encounter that Mark describes for us in the seventh chapter, beginning at verse 24. And he writes, From there he set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there. You see, even Jesus wanted a break every now and then. Yet he could not escape notice. But a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. Now I have to admit, when I read that encounter, as I was preparing for this service this morning, I was a little troubled. See, the Syrophoenician woman, as I've already told you, was, was Greek in origin from the Roman province of Syria, and it, it appears on the surface, if we were just to read this and not really think about it, not really examine it, we might think that Jesus was rebuking this woman. Even I, when, I, when I read the passage, I had to ask some questions. Why would Jesus speak so unkindly to this woman? Why would he compare her to a dog? Because to me, she seems to be a woman of faith. She's seeking healing, and not even healing for herself. She's seeking healing for her daughter. And she seems to be aware that Jesus is the one person with the power to heal. And not only that, but she seems to be aware that she doesn't need all of his power or all of his attention to her particular problem. All she needs is the scraps of his power. The leftovers of her attention would be sufficient for her. She seems to have that understanding. It seems she would just be satisfied if he could just give her the crumbs from the table where the Lord provides. Just the crumbs. Now if we understand
understand the culture of the day, we see that this woman falls into two categories where she might be viewed by the culture around her as being less than. Number one, she's not Jewish. And number two, she's a woman. From the typically Jewish perspective of her day, her status in society would have been closer to that of a dog than to a Jewish man. And see, Jesus is aware of this. He's not ignorant of the prevailing culture. We can't do ministry as ministers of the faith being totally ignorant of what's going on out there. He's not ignorant. Jesus is not ignorant of the prevailing culture. He's not unaware of the predominant world view. And so I don't think he's rebuking her. I think he's poking fun. I think he's enjoying a moment with one of his children who he doesn't view as less than. And what's more, she knows her value in him. So he pokes fun. Now, you know, I picture him here. I was up at, uh, at the SMU Extension campus yesterday. And they had on the wall there in the uh, teaching theater, they had a wall on the wall a picture of laughing Jesus. Have you seen this picture? We always see pictures of Jesus, and, and he can be the meek and mild Jesus. He can be the somber Jesus with the, th uh, the crown of thorns. This one was Jesus hanging on to a fishing net, and he had a grin from ear to ear. He was so approachable in that picture. And this is the image I get of him as he's talking to the Syrophoenician woman. I can picture him there not being rude and arrogant, because of his elevated social status as a Jewish man. No, I can see him saying to her with this mischievous grin on his face, let the children be fed first, for it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. And what's more, her response as she smiles back at him and says, Sir, even the dogs under the table get the children's crumbs. That response, that playful sarcasm between the Lord and one of his children, I know that interaction brought a smile to Jesus' face. And so as a result of that communion, she is invited not just to take the crumbs from the Lord's table, but she's invited to have a full portion. A full portion. She's given what she seeks. Her daughter's demon is exercised and her daughter is restored. Now I know many present in that room might have thought that that woman was not worthy to approach the Lord's table, let alone have some crumbs. But see, our Lord is all about feeding the least and the lost, isn't he? And so he feeds her, he nourishes her, he satisfies her need completely. And so the question I have 
for each of us is who do we invite to sit with us at our table? Who do we deem worthy to receive the blessing of sitting with us at our table? Who is it that we are comfortable breaking bread with? Is it the least and the lost? Or is it only those that we judge worthy to sit with us? Who in our prevailing culture as a society do we hold to be no better than dogs? Who is it we segregate from ourselves? Here's another way I like to look at it. If I were to hold a supper at my house and I invited all of my friends and acquaintances, which would include those who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ, and it would include people of different denominations. Yes, I do know some Baptists. <laughs> it would include some who are seekers, some who are in need of a relationship, even though they don't really know how to define what that relationship might be. If I invited all those different kinds of peoples, wouldn't it be expected that we could all sit around the same table as friends, as equals, and share the same bread and the same wine? And then if suddenly there was a knock at the door and my doorbell rang and I opened it up and there was Jesus. And he asked to come in and host that particular dinner, which I would gladly let him do, would he then insist that we divide ourselves into our respective denominations and socioeconomic categories? Would he ask us to sit at separate parts of the table according to our wealth, according to our race, according to our ethnicity, or what have you? And then if he did that, at which table would Jesus sit? Who would he sit next to? Would he sit at the Methodist table? Would he sit at the Catholic table, the Lutheran table? Would he sit at the white table, the black table, the Hispanic table? What table would Jesus want to be at? I think we have the answer in Galatians 2. If you'll recall, Paul rebukes Peter. Paul, the newbie in the Christian faith, rebukes Paul, the rock, because Paul refused to break bread with the Gentiles who were also Christ followers because they weren't Jewish. See, even the rock makes mistakes. Paul points out to, to Peter that the redemptive power of the resurrection fulfills and supersedes the law. Let me say that again because that's, that's a pretty deep theological concept. The redemptive power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ fulfills and supersedes the law. And that by grace and the new covenant, we are now the church, the body of Christ, and therefore are no longer Jew or Gentile. We're no longer Protestant or Catholic. We're no longer white, black, Hispanic, Asian. You name the, the ethnicity or the race. It doesn't matter to Jesus one iota because there is one Lord, there is one table, and there is one baptism. So back to our dinner party, if Jesus showed up, 
He would want all of his beloved children to sit around the table with him, to be in fellowship and communion with him, to break bread with him, to drink wine with him. No believer would be excluded ever, regardless of what we call ourselves. Those who have a desire to know him would also be welcome. That's the way Jesus would host a shepherd if he showed up. And just so we're all on the same page, we do all agree that when we have the Lord's Supper, Jesus does indeed show up, right? It's the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper. Holy communion is about relationship. Relationship with our Lord, with one another as the church, with those outside the church who have a hunger to know Jesus Christ, or maybe they just have a hunger and they don't even know who it is they want to meet and understand and be a part of. And so, yes, we celebrate communion to remember what Christ did for us on the cross and to be in fellowship with him and to join together with each other in love because it's about relationship. That's why we call it communion. And it takes many forms. It's not just breaking the bread and the wine. Communion takes many forms. It's, it's a family grieving together at the hospital bedside of a loved one who has just passed. That's communion. Communion is thousands of people stopping for a brief moment across the country to acknowledge a fallen soldier, a, a police officer, a firefighter. Communion is praying together in a football stadium on a Friday night. Communion is a small congregation of believers at a little church down the road in Splendora where they gather together in prayer and they serve families who visit a, a box of food. It's a handful of prayer warriors outside a grocery store asking people if they need prayer. That's communion. Communion is a little church in Shepherd where we anoint the kids before they go back to school and pray over them. Communion is laughter and conversation around the family dinner table. That's something that happens less and less these days, isn't it? Communion is a family sitting together for movie night or worshiping together in church. It's a husband and wife praying together and raising up their family in the Lord. Or it's a single mom doing the same thing all by herself. Communion is a dad helping his son with homework or a Boy Scout merit badge. Or it's a mother and daughter shopping trip to furnish her room or her dorm room. Communion is the dad who goes to his prayer closet every night and falls on his knees to pray for the deliverance and protection of his family from the snares of the evil one. Communion is the wife and mom who drives her kids to school each day, all of them singing along with KSBJ radio, praising God the whole way. Communion is any interaction between the people of God and those who don't yet know God. Communion is any interaction between the people of God that puts Jesus at the center and honors and glorifies God. Communion, relationship with Jesus Christ. Why do we do it? Well, we do it because it restores. It redeems. It revitalizes. It resurrects. It rejuvenates. It re-energizes. 
And in the case of this Syrophoenician woman, it exercises demons. That would make me think a little bit. Do we as individuals, as a church, as a tribe, as a people, as a nation, do we have any demons that need exercising? Well, I think that we do. There's the demon of racism, the demon of classism, the demon of materialism, the demon of idolatry, the demon of self-righteousness and self-interest, the demon of perverse human sexuality, the demon of addiction, the demon of, well, you get the idea, fill in your own demons. Anything that we seek to satisfy us that's outside the will or plan of God for our lives is an addiction. So don't think that addiction is limited to drugs and alcohol because there are lots of things that we can be addicted to. All of those things are demons. And thanks be to God for the gift of holy communion with Jesus Christ because it exercises demons. Communion is an ordinance of grace. That's very Methodist. An ordinance of grace given to us through the sacrifice of our Savior Jesus on the cross, his body given for us, his blood shed for us, his love poured out on us so that we might live life abundant and eternal in holy communion with him. See, it's about relationship. And so whenever we take communion, in whatever form it takes, as you approach the table, do so in full awareness of the presence of the Lord because he is indeed present there. He is the one who invites you to come break bread with him, be in relationship with him. Thanks be to God for that. That he calls us to the table and it matters not where we come from, it doesn't matter how much money's in our bank account. It doesn't matter whether we're wearing fine linens or feed sacks. Jesus does not care what your origins are. He cares about your future and your hope. And what's more, he promises you that as you go into communion with him. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.